We're in a study right now in the seven churches of Revelation. Revelation is by far my favorite book of the Bible. And I think it's okay to have a favorite, and it's my favorite. And in Revelation chapter 1, we get a, a call to a special blessing that God promises. In Revelation 1 verse 3, it says this, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. In other words, you're always going to be blessed by anything you read in the Bible. But the book of Revelation promises a special blessing to those who read and to those who hear the words, which means we understand the words of it, and then we take to heart what it says. And so we are in a series now called The Seven Churches of Revelation. Now, why is that? Well, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, Jesus gives us the actual uh, outline for the book of Revelation. And what he says is this. He says that, uh, therefore... Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. So chapter one is the things that John had seen. John the apostle, who was the apostle that was closest to Jesus, he actually was called the apostle that Jesus loved. <laughs> I told this last week though, he's the one who gave himself that title. Is that funny or what? <laughs> Now, he could have been on your show. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's the last guy. Nobody, they yeah. all died. I'm like, okay, I'm the one they love. Yeah. Which is part of why he probably said it. Yeah. But I, I've always said, could you imagine Peter reading that going, what? Who's me? <laughs> you know, I was, anyway, uh, I think that's funny. But he saw Jesus and he describes Jesus in Revelation chapter one. That's the things he had seen. Then he said, write the things which are. That is what is happening in the seven churches in Revelation. These are seven very real churches in seven cities in what we now call modern day Turkey that existed at that time. And Jesus wrote, wanted letters written to them. That was the things which are. And Jesus wanted to address some things with them because he loved them. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loved those churches, but five of them were messing up big time. And so he wanted to call that out, out of love, and he wanted to course correct them so they could get it right. By the way, there are churches today messing up in those five ways. Jesus feels the same way towards them today. There are Christians messing up in those five ways. And Jesus wants to come and show grace and care and course correction to you and I. Uh, by the way, uh, the word repent means to change your course. It means to go a different direction. But it's a loving thing to do, and you and I can choose to do that. So we're going to learn those things by studying these churches. But if you were to look on the map, you will see those churches in order, uh, the way I was telling you about. And the first church he talked to was the church of Ephesus. So you can see where Ephesus is. And Ephesus had left their first love. Then he's now going to send the letter to a church called Smyrna. It's in the city of Smyrna. And so to the church of Smyrna, he's going to write a very special message to them because they were being pummeled by persecution. They were being beaten. They were being attacked. They were losing their jobs. Uh, some were being in prison. Uh, some were driven out of town. Uh, um, they, were, they were under intense persecution. And Jesus is about to tell them it's going to get worse way before it gets better. Uh, so it wasn't going to change. And Jesus loved this church, but his words weren't, I'm going to spare you. His words were, I'm going to be with you through it. And there's so much for you and I to learn. Uh, because we live in a day right now where more per Christians are being persecuted around the world than ever before in all of history. Uh, by the way, that's something we in the United States tend to forget about. Actually, I'd say this, we might be in a season we're feeling it a little. Uh, I think right now in the United States, we might be feeling the tide is turning against us, which is, by the way, one of the signs of the coming of the Lord. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3, it says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold and the Lord tests the hearts. So he very seldom is going to spare us from these things. He is going to allow them to come. And whenever they do, we find ourselves being purified. Believe it or not, it's one of the best ways, maybe the only true way to grow your faith in a very powerful, real way. Peter, at about the same time period, Jesus addresses this letter to the church of Smyrna. He actually has a letter he writes to people who are being persecuted. They were being arrested. They were being tortured. Matter of fact, interestingly, the pastors of the church were being targeted with death. And so if you were a pastor, it meant you could probably die. 
And in 1 Peter 1, what does Peter say to these people? He says this. He says, in this you greatly rejoice. I want to stop there. In this persecution, he said, I'm watching you rejoice. They weren't getting down. They weren't giving up. They weren't giving in. They were filled with such great joy. And he goes, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials so that, now why is this occurring? So that your faith being more precious than gold, uh, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, though they had not seen Jesus, it says you love him. And though you do not see him now, but you believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I, I love that. I love that Peter says, you know what? When this hit, people were like, forget it, I'm giving up. Now, here's, I want to tell you two things that always has happened whenever, whenever we have watched the church undergo a persecution. Number one, the lukewarm leaf. <laughs> that makes sense, right, guys? No. Yeah. I have a feeling what you're going to tell me pretty soon is some of the churches you've helped out, there weren't lukewarm Christians in it. Yeah, most of them, you know, because of the Lord, you know, because the way I got saved was, you know, through Or Roberts' ministry, and so it was powerful and so i always wanted to have a church that had that kind of power in it you know and yeah. that was on fire for god so yeah and when you're persecuted you know what man you you're, if you're not for real you're, you're out the door yeah. and then what happens is the second thing that occurs revival comes the holy spirit moves so the church by the way church history has shown persecuted churches grow uh, that seems counterintuitive to us. We would think it's the opposite. One of the ways a great revival is going to occur in the last days is when every nation on earth persecutes us and we're going to grow to the largest we've ever grown. I just want to say, you know, while you were talking, uh, it made me think about in Iran, you know, when uh, the Muslim, um, ex-Muslims, they, they get married, you know, a guy marries a girl, he's the minister, and he, t he says to his wife, he says, you know, you're going to be a widow. Yeah, because they're going to kill me because I'm an ex-Muslim when they catch me, you know, and they have the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. Yeah, that's true. That is so true. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah and it just, you know, why is because I believe that when the lukewarm leave and there's such a purity there, people see Jesus more clearly. And like you said, the Holy Spirit's moving and so. people are flocking to it. And so this church back then, Smyrna, and churches today are actually growing at an ever-increasing rate. But Jesus is not going to spare us from that, in part because it makes us better, but also it makes uh, we're going to reach more people uh, for him. Uh, and again, it's, it's the love of the Lord. It's the love of the Lord. Uh, when I was uh, at a church called Not Avenue Christian Church, we were having a meeting uh, to talk about, I got to tell you guys this, uh, to talk about how we could illustrate this with our students. And so what happened is one of my, one of my youth leaders worked for a police department. And he said, uh, he said, okay, we have a group of guys who are undercover cops, but they, they, they're undercover as motorcycle gang members. And they got the big old beards, they got the Harleys, they got the whole bit. And he said, I think I can get them to do something for us. He goes, what if we take our high school group out into the desert at Joshua Tree and have like an overnight camp out there? And then while we're around the campfire in the dark, up will come these motorcycle gang guys who are actually cops, but they won't look like it. And knowing our students, they'll call them over and invite them over. And the guys will come over and they'll start talking and they'll say, so why are you guys here? And then one of our students, for sure, they, when we knew our kids, they would start sharing about Jesus. And then he said, the biggest guy would lose it. He would get all mad, get upset and say, I, are you guys Christians? And when they all said, yeah, we're Christians, he's going to go, I hate Christians. I hate Christians. My girl, my girl, my best girl left me because she became a Christian. I, and then he's going to walk over to his motorcycle, pull out a gun, come back, put everybody all together and say, who's the leader here? And I would say, I'm the leader. And then he would take me out into the darkness, but with the shadow of the moonlight on us, and he would shoot me with blanks. And I would drop to the ground. And then he would come back and say, is anybody else a Christian here? 
All my youth, all my my youth leaders are like, let's do it. I'm like, no, we didn't do it. Uh, yeah, now it's, uh, if I did that to your kids, you would not be. Happy. I know, I would know. No, 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 no. They would pass out before you even uh, get. Wow. They get back and ask for the other. One. <laughs> yeah, that would oh, be man. brutal. That's but anyway, idea. they all thought it was a good idea. Not, we didn't do it. <laughs> But a day could come where we'll face things yeah. like that. And this church was facing, they were, they were experiencing it. And they were going to experience it more. And so here's the thing. Jesus always starts out in his letter with what he's like. See, one of the things I love about these letters, we learn what Jesus is like. And so in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, and then notice verse 9 starts out with, I know. I know. Uh, the idea that he's the first and the last means he is what matters in the first place, and he's, matters, he's, he's all that matters when all is said and done. He's the thing, he is the one who began everything, and he's the one who will bring this world to an end and uh, bring all of the evil and all of the, the hurt and all of the pain to an end. He's going to bring it all together at last. He is the one who created all and began all. He is the one who is going to be the first in your life, and he's hopefully going to be the last thing that matters to you. And I can tell you, if most of us who are believers, if we have consciousness on that last moment of our death, that's the last thing we'll think of is Jesus. I'm positive of that. Yeah, yeah so he's the first and he's the last. Mm -hmm. But he also told this church these words, get ready, I know. I know. Sometimes you might wonder, does the Lord know how I'm feeling? He knows. Does the Lord know what I'm going through? He knows. Does the Lord know how I'm being mistreated? He knows. He knows and he cares. And that's why he brings this out right now. He wants you to know that I know, I know, and I care. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we have been comforted, ourselves have been comforted by God. Um, you guys probably know this and you probably do this, but whenever I'm with somebody who's going through incredible pain, I get them with someone else who already went through it. Comfort them. And, and the, the comfort's better. I mean, I could care, but, you know, I can't say I've been through that. Mm -hmm. um, and, but when I can get them to somebody who's been through it, uh, then you start to find the healing come quicker and God's presence become more profound. Uh, I had a woman one time whose husband portrayed her, uh, mm -hmm. just basically, uh, uh, actually, he, he left her in, in an adulterous affair. Just it, She was so blindsided by it. And uh, what he did was even more evil than I'm telling you. But I actually knew of someone else who had gone through it. And that person told me when they went through it, they said, Chuck, do you know anybody else who's gone through this? And I said, no. And she said, then one day I want to be that person for someone else. Wow. She wanted her pain wow. to become something she could use as a gift to help others. So I got those two women together and something incredibly beautiful occurred because the comfort of God was there. Uh, when I've had a family lose a child, I get them with people who... Who've lost a child. Uh, I had a young dad one time. Uh, it was a divine mo moment of meeting, but he was heartbroken. He's crying. And I said, what's wrong? And he had just been told that the baby they were going to be having had Down syndrome. Mm. And I, I said, hey, it's not as bad as you think. And I go, come on, we're going to go right now. And I took him to a family that had a wonderful seven-year-old with Down syndrome. And he walked out of that house saying, this is a blessing, not a curse. Wow. You know, so when you get with people who, who've gone through it, it feels good when they can say, I know, I know. And Jesus knows. And so when you want to know what Jesus is like, he's the one who knows how you feel. He's the one who cares about how you feel. He's the one who will never abandon you in that moment. In Psalm 56, verse 8, one of my favorite verses, it says, you have taken account of my wanderings, the time I felt lost and didn't even know where to go or what to do. And he goes, you put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Isn't that interesting? The Bible says you've never shed a tear. God doesn't have it in a bottle because he treasures that. He cares about that. It matters to him. Um, obviously, I would never want my grandchildren to be hurt. But some of the most beautiful moments I've ever had to them when I was, I'm holding them in my arms, comforting them after they've gone through pain. 
Uh, and that's happened more than once. And it's an incredibly time of bonding. And, and every tear they shed matters. Some of you right now need to know, hey, you're ready to, you're ready to shed some tears. God cares. And Jesus says, I know. I know. That's who he is. And this church needed to hear that. They needed to know that. Then we know in Revelation what happens in chapters 2 and 3. We learn what Jesus is like. We also learn what Jesus likes. We learn what Jesus likes. Uh, and you know what? Some people like things and some people don't. Uh, by the way, uh, Naz, you know this. I love Turkish coffee. Yeah. Uh, and when we've ever gone to the Middle East, uh, uh, man, you know they bring those little cups? I always get like four. Like I, <laughs> wow. I, Steve, do you do it? Yeah. Not four. Not four? <laughs> <laughs> and you don't finish the whole thing. You just leave a little bit on the bottom. We've got to have some of the mud. In. <laughs> but I, do you guys love Turkish coffee? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I just want to say it's Arabic. They took it from us, but yeah, go ahead. Actually, that's probably more true. <laughs> <laughs> they gave us kebab. Come on, you got to give them. And they the hookah. took that from us, too. They got to give it back. Okay, all right. But you know what? There's certain things Jesus likes and certain things he does not like. And in this church, he's going to tell us what he likes. Are you ready? He says this in verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. What is he like? He likes that they've stayed faithful even though they've gone through these things. The Lord loves it when you and I are resilient. The Lord loves it when we actually stand up for him stronger in moments of trial and in times of testing. The Lord loves it when we let those trials make us better. And he loves his church. And he said this, you know what? I know you feel like you're in tribulation and poverty, but you're richer than you know. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to, to miss out on the fact that you could not be more wealthy in this moment. You, you actually have far more than you know. And he said, and I see that for you, and I like that's in you. It's interesting, a church he's not going to like what they're doing and how they're acting is the church of Laodicea. And while the church of Smyrna felt like they were poor, uh, the church of Laodicea felt like they were rich. Uh, and Jesus said this to them in Revelation 3.17. He goes, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and you have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. One church felt poor, but they were rich. Why? They were rich in faith. The other church felt rich and they were poor because they were backslidden and lukewarm. And the Lord doesn't like backslidden and lukewarm and he loves it the other way. We had a team from our church get to go on a global outreach church to a, an area of India that's incredibly, incredibly impoverished. Uh, by the way, I mean, very, the, the worst of poverty you could experience. And they went to church in this slum. And the people were so on fire, so excited. Uh, Steve, you talked about filled with the Holy Spirit. You could fill the Holy Spirit there because it was so powerful. And then it came time to give an offering. And, and so everybody was giving their offering. And and one of my, my people on my, our team uh, looked over and said to one of the, the, the members of the church, he goes, whoa. He goes, man, you guys have hardly anything, but you seem to be giving so faithfully. And they go, oh, yeah, everybody does. Mm -hmm. And that, that word got him. You ready? Everybody. 100% of the people in that church type. They had nothing, but they had everything. They were rich in faith. They were an example of this church. And uh, you know what? The, the people of that church were shocked when they heard that, that Christians in the United States don't all tithe. They were like, how could that even be? How could that be? Because I think too often churches in the United States are poorer than they know. And Christians are too. But this church wasn't. This church was rich in faith. This church was on fire for the Lord. This church uh, uh, was ready to, to move forward. And they were being attacked. They were under attack uh, by all these kinds of different groups that were coming at them. And it would only be a few years later, not many years after this letter was written, that um, their, their leader of their church, who was called a bishop at that time, uh, it was Polycarp, who was the bishop of Smyrna. And John the Apostle had discipled Polycarp. John the Apostle, who wrote the book of Revelations, the apostle that Jesus loved, had poured into him and had appointed him as the leader of the church in Smyrna. And in the midst of all that persecution, a revival did erupt. And the church was growing. And there was a backlash because they were so strong in that area and within that culture. 
And when the time came for their Olympic Games, their version of the Olympic Games, they uh, saw huge crowds gathering, multitudes of people coming. It'd be like if the Olympics came to town here. And that night, the night before one of the big, big events, Polycarp was asleep and he woke up and he had had a dream that his pillow was on fire and that he was going to die for Jesus. He gathered together the other leaders of the church. He said, it's not going to be long that I'll be burned alive for my faith. And they said, should we get you out of town? He said, no, no, I would never run. He said, I'm going to stand for the Lord. It would be that very day, that next day, when all the crowds gathered the arena, that somehow a chant began. And the chant began, away with the atheists, bring us Polycarp. Away with the atheists, bring us Polycarp. And so what happened is the word went out to go and get him. Again, he could have easily escaped, but he didn't. They did find one of the members of the church and tortured him until he finally told where Polycarp was because the church didn't want to give him up. And when the soldiers arrived, they actually respected him so much, cared about him so much, that what they did is they, they, began, they began to beg him, just, just say Caesar's Lord. Just put one pinch of salt into the altar. By the way, that's all he had to do. He, he, all he had to do was say, Caesar is Lord, and take one pinch of salt and drop it into the fire. And he said, no, I won't do it. I'll never betray my Lord. And they brought him to trial in front of this huge crowd. It, it became a mockery. And they, they said, Polycarp, will you say Caesar's Lord? And he said, no. And the judge, believe it or not, also didn't want to sentence him to death. And he looked at him and said, Polycarp, today you might die. And he said these words, 86 years I have served Christ that he never did me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And he said, you threatened me with fire that burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. But you're ignorant of the fire of the everlasting judgment that is prepared for the wicked. And so they sentenced him to death. And there in that arena, they brought wood and, and, and they went to tie him to a stake. And he told the soldier, you don't need to tie me. I won't leave. They loosely bound him. They lit the fire on, uh, they went, went to light the fire. And then many people reported they heard these words. Many people said, a voice from out of nowhere spoke and said, be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. And he did. He stood strong and he died for the Lord uh, in a way that was incredible. Uh, what happens, the fire began to go up around him, but it wouldn't touch him. And so one of the soldiers stepped in and finally put a spear through him. And in front of everybody, they saw him die in faith. And the place went silent. And they began to be moved by the fact of how brave he was, how strong he was. And he stood for the Lord and would never give up and never give in. And Jesus said, this is the kind of church you are. And your time of testing is coming, but you're going to stay strong. You're going to go through it. Today, many Christians are facing that kind of a test. Uh, and I want you to know that it's not new. It's actually been going on ever since the church of Smyrna and before. But uh, Steve, I uh, reached out to Nazareth and I said, hey, do you know somebody who's actually experienced very real persecution? And, and Steve right away, uh, or Naz right away said you. He told us about you. And he told us some of your story. And I thought, oh my gosh. Then I went and watched a video of Steve sharing how he came to know Christ. And I was like, okay, the persecutions part I want to know about. But you guys have got to hear how Steve came to know Jesus. Because there, I can only say miracle. Would, would you agree? It, it was a miracle. Yeah, I was. Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. It's a uh, privileged to be here. My uh, my name is Hussein, actually. My real name is Hussein. Steve is my nickname. And the funny thing is that the first martyr in Christianity is Steve, and the first martyr in Islam is Hussein. So I got it on both sides. But <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, uh, I was born in the U.S. My father's Palestinian Muslim, my mother's Brazilian Catholic. And many Palestinians used to go marry uh, Brazilian women because it's an easy way to come to America. It used to be until they found out that was being done. But, and I was born here. And then uh, I, w when I was born, my parents agreed that I would be brought up Muslim. 
And the name Hussein is my grandfather's name, and uh, it's a Muslim name. It's, it's actually a Shiite Muslim name. It's much more Shiite, but my family is Sunni. And uh, my father's from uh, the West Bank uh, near Jerusalem, about 10 miles from Jerusalem. In the Bible, my village is Ai. Oh, yeah. okay. And the, uh, the, uh, today it's called Der Dibwan, and it's a Muslim village. And uh, anyway, I went, when my parents divorced, when I was nine, my parents divorced. And uh, I had always wanted to know about Jesus, but my, because of the agreement, you know, uh, we weren't allowed to bring Bibles in the house. We, we never went to church. Uh, we weren't very strict Muslims, but we didn't eat pork and stuff like that, you know. But I knew there was something different about us, but I didn't really know what it was. Um, but when I was nine, my parents divorced, and my dad took us to the Holy Land and uh, the West Bank to our village. And he left us there for three years, my sister and me. And uh, while I was there, I was an American kid, grew up on Speed Racer and everything, and went back there. It was like going into the Bible times because no television, no telephones, just the, no running water in the house, you know. It was just like stepping into the Bible times, the bathroom outside, everything. And uh, after a while, you get used to it. And uh, my father married someone, left us with her there for three years. And I went to school. I learned Arabic. I learned uh, to read and write Arabic. I learned to speak Arabic. And I also learned Islam. And I always loved Jesus. Even as a kid, I used to, I remember watching the movie uh, Ben-Hur and the movie The Robe. And I always remember seeing the crucifixion scene because those, those movies have crucifixion scenes. And I, I was thinking about, oh, why did they do that to him? He was so nice. He did all these nice things. And I, no one ever told me who he was or why he did that or why they did that to him. And so when I went back, or when I actually went the first time actually to the Holy Land, I, uh, I, asked, I asked my relatives there. I said, well, what do you say about Jesus? And the Muslims, they believe in Isa. Is it, their Jesus is called Isa, and, uh, and, and they said, he's a wonderful prophet. He's just amazing, and we respect him so much. But he's not the son of God, and he did not die. You know, the, the belief is that when uh, they came to arrest Jesus, what happened is that Allah took him up into heaven, made somebody else look like him, and that other person was crucified in his place. And most people say it was Judas, but some say it was the guy, Simon the Cyrenian, or there's so many theories about who it was who was crucified. But uh, so, and, and it's a, one of the most famous verses of the Quran. It says, They did not kill him. They did not crucify him. It was made to appear so to them. Every Muslim knows that verse. It's one of the most famous verses in the Quran. And, uh, and if I could just say, I believe, those words have sent more people to hell than any words ever written by a human being. But uh, anyway, so I became a very committed Muslim. I was very devout, very, because I was just so religious. I was so spiritually hungry. And so I was very committed. I was very convinced of Islam. I 100% believed it was the true religion. I believed that Muhammad was the last prophet, you know, that uh, Islam is the last religion and the Quran is the last book. And everybody needs to become a Muslim. And so I wanted to come back to America to tell Americans about Islam, especially the Christians, so that, because I was worried that you guys were going to hell. So, um, and then uh, when I was 12 years old, my mom made my dad bring us back. <laughs> uh, and so we came back and uh, I continued as a Muslim, as strong, you know, as I was very, I mean, I was 100% convinced that it was the right religion. And so I understand how Muslims feel. I know how they feel. They feel 100% that they're right, and they want to convert you. They think Christians are going to hell, and now I was like that. And uh, and I and you know like I would walk to school every day, and this was up here in Northern California. And on my way to school, whenever I'd see uh, I, there was a church on the way there, it was uh, Bethel Open Bible Church. And every time I'd walk by it, I'd spit at it, you know, just to show my disdain for Christianity. I love Jesus, but I hated Christianity, and uh, you know. And that would just that went on for about three years, and uh, and I was, you know, I tried to be as faithful a Muslim as I could. You know, I was very committed, and you know, I'd always take the Quran, go out into my living room, and say, Allah, could you do something in my life? Allah, can you show me that you care about me? Allah, can you please, you know, and nothing ever happened. And uh, and then when I was 15 years old, it was the night before. 
it was actually Easter. Uh, what happened is my dad used to go work uh, out of town. He was a traveling salesman, and I'd be alone in the house on the weekends. And I watched Saturday Night Live, you know, and then after Saturday Night Live, this was in 1978, there was nothing else on but an Oral Roberts crusade. And so I, I watched it, and uh, he was talking about Easter and the death and resurrection. And while he's talking, the Spirit of God just, boom, just fell on me. And Jesus was right there. It was like, bam. And I, you know, I didn't see him, but he was right there. I said, Jesus, I know he was right there. And when he came, I knew he's the Son of God. I knew he's the Son of God. A Muslim would never say that. There is a very, one of the strongest emphasis of the Quran is that Jesus is not the Son of God. It, there's one of the most famous surahs in the Quran. It's called Surah Al-Akhlas, which is the surah of sincerity. Say Allah's one, he's unchanging, he is not begotten, and he doesn't beget. There's no one equal to him. It's a direct attack against Jesus Christ. And so I would never say Jesus is the Son of God, but when he came to me, I knew he's the Son of God. I knew it instantly that he's the Son of God. And, you know, it's like I don't even say that I was a Muslim and I became a Christian. I was dead and I came to life. Amen. And I wasn't dead because I was a Muslim. I was dead because Jesus wasn't in my life. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus came, he brought me to life. It was instant. It was miraculous. Happens a lot with Muslims. A lot of Muslims have similar experiences, you know. And so that's kind of how I got saved. So, Well, which I think is so incredible. The Lord just did that. And, yeah, I, I get um, so excited about all the stories we're hearing now of this occurring in Egypt and in Saudi Arabia, uh, in Ramallah. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 But now, what was the reaction to you becoming a Christian by your father? Well, I didn't tell my father at first, you know. You know, after I, this was on Sunday night, or Saturday night, this happened. The next Monday, I went to that church that I used to spit at all the time. <laughs> and I said, hey, this, came, this happened to me, what happened? And the pastor told me. Uh, his name was Gary Leif. I don't know. I've never seen him since, uh, but he told me what happened. He, he explained to me. I got. I accepted the Lord. They had the four spiritual laws back then, and so he read that to me and everything. And and I didn't tell my dad. And at the time, I was living alone with my dad, and because my uh, sister was uh, in the Holy Land, and uh, and then she came back, and she was a devout Muslim, and and I did tell her. I didn't tell my dad, but I did tell her. And she told my dad. <laughs> and uh, I remember the night I was out with friends that day, and then I came home that night, and, and my dad and my sister were sitting together, and my dad says, Hassan, sit down. And I did, and he says, um, he says we're, uh, we're family, right? And I said, of course. Uh, he said, he said, we're Arabs, aren't we? I said, of course. And then he said, he said, we're Muslims, aren't we? And I said, you know, I, I didn't know that much about the Bible, but I knew Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. And, uh, and I also knew that there was a risk in becoming a Christian. Muhammad said, men beddel dinu fa'uqtilu, which means, Whoever changes his religion, his Muslim religion, kill him. Muhammad didn't spare words about that. I knew there was a risk to me becoming a Christian. But my dad asked me, he says, we're Muslims, aren't we? And, and, and I said, no, dad, I'm not a Muslim anymore. And he said, why? And I just said, well, I'm happy this way, you know. And, you know, he threw a shoe at me and kicked me out of the house. But before I got to the door, he grabbed me and started shaking me and started preaching at me how Islam is so glorious, even though he wasn't that religious. And he just, you know, I had him and my sister both on the side of me telling me how glorious Islam and, and everything like that. And, uh, and then somehow my father found out about that I had been going to these churches. There was two churches by my house. They went. He went to both of them, 
and somehow, I don't know how he found out, but, and he told them, if my son comes here, I'll sue you guys. And both churches asked me not to come back. Oh. Wow. And I, I don't say this to demean those churches. They said that you're 15 years old, you're living with your father, you should honor your father. But, you know, the reason I tell you this is because I want to tell you guys that Islam's long arm is very, is very long. And in the Middle East, I probably would have got beat up or something yeah. worse would have happened, you know. But I, even here in the land of freedom, Islam has its effect. And it's real, you guys. You know what you're saying about Smyrna? And there, and there are people that this is happening to right now. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, body of Christ, you guys get ready to just put your life on the line with these guys. They may have to die. Stand next to them and if you have to die with them, you know, we're the body of Christ. We need to be discipling these people, you know, not, they need you right now. And, you know, the, the Lord does these miracles. He, he does. It's, it's so amazing what God's doing. God is pouring out his spirit on the Muslims right now. And, uh, but they need to find, they're losing everything sometimes. Sometimes they're losing their home. Sometimes they're losing their job. Sometimes they're losing their spouse. Sometimes they're losing their kids. This is very real. And they need to have the body of Christ to be their family. And so anyway, problems happened with my dad. And eventually he did kick me out. When he kicked me out, I went to live with my mom in uh in nevada and when i lived, went to live with my mom she's catholic and so she let me go to church and uh, i started going to church and uh, like i said because i got saved under oral roberts with the power of the holy spirit i wanted a spirit-filled powerful church and that's reno where sin abounds grace abounds and <laughs> they have awesome churches <laughs> and so uh, i started going to church grew in the lord and went to college became a journalist and uh I got my degree in journalism. I worked in journalism for several years, but I felt a call to to preach to the Muslims. And uh, and so, uh, I don't know if you want to ask anything or you want me just to go on or what. Well, actually, I want to go back to the whole idea that you said, you know, we need to stand with the people who are being persecuted, people who could lose their lives. Where are some of the places in the world that it's, it's, it's happening with the most um, <laughs> aggressive attacking? Any Muslim country, <laughs> any Muslim country, I'm sorry to say that. Muhammad said it, and this is one of the most famous, what's called hadiths. You know, the Quran, Islam comes from three sources, the Quran, the hadith, and the biography of Muhammad. The hadith are the words of Muhammad. And among the hadith are very, they're not at the level of Quran, but they're right smack dab beyond, right after it. They're very, very influential. And so... Muhammad said, Men whoever changes religion, kill him. Now, most people won't go all the way and do that. But they will do other things. You know, they'll be, they, they could beat people. And I have people, friends, could tell you, they were beaten. Uh, they could, you could lose your job. You could lose your relatives. You could lose your family. You'll, and you'll be labeled the morted. Morted means the apostate. And that's the most dangerous word, uh, that you can be killed for that. And we were talking today at dinner about how your own family members, because you're doing a show on YouTube about Islam, that they're calling you crying, saying, you're ruining our families, our kids will never be married because of you, our families are persecuted because of you, and they're trying to put all this guilt. And I remember one time your father, when you were in the West Bank, your father tried, or some people tried to, to maybe kill you or something like that we're talking about. Well. Uh, your uncles or relatives were trying yeah. to. What happened is I was in, the, I was, I went back in 1999 to be a missionary there. I was sent by my church. That's the first time where the Lord really opened the door for me to go back. I wanted to go to the Muslims. I wanted to tell them about Jesus. And, and when I went there, I, I, I acted like I was in America in Huntington Beach. You know, you just go out on the street and tell people about Jesus. And so I did that. And every day I wanted to just tell 10 people that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose again. I, I, I know they don't believe that. I know that what, what they're going to say. But there's power in the seed. If you put the seed in the ground, the Holy Spirit come at night and do what 
he did with me, you know? And so I believe it's a, it's a co-laboring with the Holy Ghost when you're ministering. And uh, so I went to the city, and I was going out every day talking to 10 people. And then I got a call when, well, actually they put a, pasted a letter to my church window in the Middle East there. And uh, they said, El Marhom Steve. <laughs> yeah, the, the deceased Steve, as if he's already dead. They wrote his name as already yeah. dead. And they said, he's doing all this. He's a traitor with Israel. He's Americans using him and everything. And then he said, he has to stop doing what he's doing. He has to stop preaching. And uh, I didn't stop. And uh, then I got a call, and they said, we're going to give you two hours to leave town, or we're going to come get you. And, uh, you know, Jesus said, if they persecute you in one town, go to the next. So I went to the next town, which was Jerusalem in this case. <laughs> and, uh, and they did come. They did come. I had people who were there. They saw, and they were among the worst that they had. I mean, these are men who had blood on their hands that they sent to get me. And uh, just fast forward, this was in 1999, you know, so I just want to tell you that those two guys have both been born again oh and baptized. Amen. <laughs> okay, that is cool. That amen. is really cool. <laughs> so, yeah. You were also, uh, both of you were telling me about a, a man who's got a, you know, a mark, he's marked man. They actually put a bounty on his head. Yes. Uh, well, you know, when I was in the Middle East, I, I really started learning about Christian ministries to the Muslims, preaching to the Muslims. There's one particular guy, his name is Father Zechariah Putros, and uh, he, he was a Coptic priest who got born again, and he, um, in 1964, and, and his brother was killed by the Muslim Brotherhood. He used, his brother used to go preach to the Muslims, and the Muslim Brotherhood took him, cut his tongue out, and killed him. And uh, instead of getting bitter, the Lord gave him a love for the Muslims. And so he started studying the Muslim Islamic books. Nobody in the world can tell you about Islam like he can. He knows more about Islam <laughs> than Muslim clerics. Any oh, wow. Of them. Yeah. None of them can. And he just starts saying, you know, this is what the, the, your books say about Muhammad. This is what your books say about Muhammad. And he was so powerful, so influential. He was destroying the foundations of Islam, just exposing the truth about who Muhammad was, who Islam was, what, all this stuff. Uh, Al-Qaeda put a $60 million price on his head for him to, and he had to, he was arrested twice. He had to flee to Australia and then to, the, to England, and uh, I'm not going to say where he is now, but he's, his life is still in danger. And just recently, he did a, a program, uh, he did a program uh, on his TV station, because he has a TV station, and uh, he said, uh, he was just talking about Muhammad and stuff, and it caused an earthquake <coughs> in the Arab world right now. And uh, the big Twitter uh, hashtag is th hundreds of thousands of, uh, have uh, taken it, or do whatever you do with Twitter hashtags, I don't know what. But it's punish Zechariah Butros. And when you say punish, that has a real significant meaning when you yeah with we're Islam. talking November 2021. Which this is was not yesterday, a hundred <laughs> years ago. This, this is, is happening yesterday. today. Yeah. And Egypt is big, even though the president tried to say that's easy. No, if you're a Muslim, you become a Christian, you're gonna end up in you know tortured in prisons or mm -hmm. they kill you. And they all do. That. This happens all over the Middle East. Yes. Yeah, and then what we're saying is that the church is growing there, and it, you're just seeing revival happen. And, um, you know, it, it's just, uh, to me, when you talked about him, when you talked about that man. Um, Zechariah Butros. Zechariah, You yeah. can go look it up. It's on the Internet. Yeah. Well, it just sounds like Polycarp. Yes. Doesn't it sound like almost the same story? You know, um, that, you know, Polycarp's 87 years old. He won't back down. You know, I. He won't run. I had him on my, I have a YouTube channel, just in case anybody wants to see it. It's Hussein Mashni. So please come and subscribe. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but, uh he was on my program on Monday to talk about this situation. And he said, I said to him, dude, this is, this is a scary situation. They're looking for him, you know? And he says, he said, oh, this is such an honor, and I don't deserve it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> honor of being persecuted for Christ. Yeah, I didn't quote it, but Polycarp said the same thing. He, you know, here he is. Uh, you know, Jesus is obviously pointing towards what's going to happen uh, with him. But he said, you know, he, he counted himself worthy to suffer for the Lord. 
Amen. Uh, you know, the, or he did not feel worthy to suffer for the Lord. He thought it was one of the greatest honors. And, you. Um, you know, it's interesting that Jesus, at the end of this letter, he begins to talk to him, and he says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Yes. And I, I think that is so incredible, because, again, you know, he's not saying you won't suffer. He said, don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of it. And by the way, I think that um, uh, in our country today, uh, there are a lot of people who, um, and I'm not trying to say this meanly towards anybody, but you're manifesting fear that you might have to suffer, uh, you know, for being a Christian. Um, and Jesus didn't say you're not going to suffer. He said, don't fear it. Don't fear it. And so you and I should never do that. And he even says here, Jesus said to these people, Behold, the devil's about to cast some of you into prison so that you'll be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So the Lord says to all of us, he says, you know what? Don't be afraid of what's coming, even if it's from the devil. But trust me, stay faithful to me. Don't give up, don't give in. And we see over the course of time that, you know what, that the Lord's always been there with people. But the greatest miracles have occurred in moments like that, in times like that. And so you, you're suffering, your pain. I'm not sure what it will be, but there's going to be at least some. Uh, but I believe that we're probably not that many year or years away from that happening in this country. I really do. Yeah. And I think that we've seen the tide turn against Christianity but I believe we're going to see the greatest revival in the United States we've ever seen because of it. And I think we're going to join in churches around the world because of it too. But the reason it happens again is because the lukewarm leave and those who are faithful experience the power of the Holy Spirit and revival in an incredible way. And I want to say this. There's some of you right now, you need to choose to truly commit to the Lord. Uh, one of the questions I get asked a lot is this one. Uh, Steve and Naz, I get asked this that how will I know if the persecution comes if I'll stay faithful? And the Lord actually gave us an answer. He who is faithful in a little is faithful in much. If you and I are faithful, found faithful in a time like this when it's easy to be a Christian, you'll be faithful in that day when it's hard. One reason I wouldn't let my youth team uh, put my high school student through that moment is because the Holy Spirit would have known it was fake. Right. <laughs> but... I know and you know that when the Holy Spirit knows it's not fake, his power comes. And those who are faithful in the little things will be faithful in the times of greatest testing. Uh, so you, I want to say to some of you right now, it's time to get faithful. And I'm not saying that mean, but you know you're not. You know you're holding out. You know you're holding back. You know you're, you're you know, if you were challenged like Steve was by somebody, are you a Christian? You would cower versus stand strong. And there's probably a lot of people that don't even know you say you're a Christian because you're not living it in a way that matters. And it's time to be faithful. Some of you out there, this is your moment to commit to Christ for the very first time. And you know what? You can sense the Holy Spirit calling you and wanting you to make this decision because I can promise you this. Jesus wants you to make this decision. The Holy Spirit always comes trying in one way or another to open our hearts and our minds to God because the Holy Spirit always testifies of Jesus and his love. And you may not even understand what I'm talking about, but you might have felt it. Uh, you might have feel it begin to stir, know it's beginning to happen. So if that's you, there's two things I want you to do. One is I want you to pray a prayer with me. I'm going to lead a prayer in a moment. And I want to encourage you to pray that prayer and commit your life to the Lord. You can do it to commit. You can do it to recommit. You can do it to find freedom from something. You can do it to say, you know what? There's pains from my past that have been plaguing me and I need help and the Lord will give it to you. But I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer of commitment. And then I'm going to ask you to let us know you prayed that prayer by texting amen, which means the truth, to 77247. Amen to 77247. Or you can go to CrossroadsChurch.Family where you can actually click on I said yes. But let's pray right now. Father, I pray for anyone who's out there that just needs to know you are there. That you know. If they could really tune into you right now, really open up to you, they would hear you say, I know. I know you're afraid and I can make you strong. I, I know you're hurting and I can bring healing. 
I know you're not sure what's going to happen next, but I can get with you and guide you to the next step. That's the best one for you. I know you've messed up, but I couldn't love you more than I do. I know that you feel like you've let other people down, but I want to lift you up in a time like this. The Lord says, I know, I know, I know. And there's some of you who's saying, I know you're holding out. I know you're holding back. And I love you and it's time to let go and it's time to commit. And if that's you right now, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me and heal me from hurt, from pain, from failure, from shame. I pray you'll just make me yours. So I say yes to you. Just say those words. I say yes. I say yes to you and I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours in Jesus' name. And now say the word, amen, Amen. which means the truth. Amen. Amen. So if you prayed that prayer, don't hold out on us. Let us know who you are. Text uh, amen to 77247. And we're going to send you a free book called The Purpose Driven Life that'll really give you the next steps to take uh, that I I think will be a game changer for you. And then I just also want you to know, we want to know who you are so we can pray for you. We can be with you. We want to be your church family. And we really want to be family with you. So we hope you'll do it. Not only hopefully you prayed the prayer, I hope you prayed the prayer, but then I also hope you'll pray, you'll text set, uh, amen to 77247 or go to family. By the way, when you go to crossroadschurch.family, there's a place there to buy an Advent journal. And Advent's coming and it starts November the 28th. And I'd love for you to have this journal. And what we'll do is every day you'll do a short devotion where you're going to get closer to Jesus. You're going to focus more on Jesus being the reason for the Christmas season. And uh, then it also will give you discussion things to do with friends, with family, with your children. And by the way, we have recipes in the back. By the way, I, I wrote two of the recipes. Oh, so, wonderful. Naz, some pretty good food in there. Yeah. So anyway, uh, but also it's just to make Christmas special. So I want to encourage you to get an Advent journal. Be ready to start it on November the 28th when we kick off Advent as a church family. And Advent means the arrival. So we kick off a celebration of the first arrival of Jesus Christ, looking forward to the second Advent when Jesus Christ is coming again soon. I want you to know the Lord loves you. I want you to know he knows. He knows. And he loves you even more than you can imagine. So I hope you know that. I hope you experience that. God bless you. And we'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we hope you'll text AMEN to 77247 so we can provide you with the resources to help you on this journey. If this message resonated with you or you need prayer for something, would you let us know in the comments below? Our team reads every comment that comes through, and we love interacting with you. If this message added value to your life, click the subscribe button and turn on post notifications so that you'll never miss out on a new message. We're live on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. right here online and Sundays at 9 a.m. and on demand anytime after that. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.